Welcome back to the official Sasta podcast brought to you by the main man Jason Lemkin at JasonLK on Twitter and me Harry Stebbings at HStebbings on Snapchat. Now following our episode with the phenomenal SaaS investor Christoph Jans on Monday, we are back in the land of SaaS founders and I'm very excited for the founder joining me today. So taking the hot seat is, and I'm going to apologise for the surname here because I know I'm going to say it wrong, so apologies in advance, but Quang Quang, co-founder at Birdly. Now Birdly are convinced by the power of messaging within organisations and they decided to build a broader service that connects your favourite business softwares to messaging apps. It's this vision that's led to them being named one of the hottest startups from YC Winter 2016 badge and has led to funding from some of the best in the industry, including our very own Jason Lemkin, Slack, previous guest Nicolas Dessain at Algolia and prestigious French investors Alvin Capital and Partet Ventures. However, enough from me, so without further ado, I'm delighted to hand over to the main man, Quang, co-founder at Birdly. Good, that's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Quang, thank you so much for joining me on the official Sasta podcast today. I've heard so much about you, so it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, I'd love to start off with a bit about you and how you came to be the founder at Birdly and what the aha story is for you. <laughs> yeah, it kind of happened accidentally. My two friends and I, who happen to be also my co-founders, uh, started about a year ago. And we started with something really, really different we were doing an expenses app, uh, taking a picture of your receipts with a mobile app and you have expense reports done for you. And then uh, we figured out that there was an opportunity solving this exact same problem with not a mobile app, but with a Slack bot. Uh, we thought that it was a huge opportunity to do it through a Slack bot. And now what we are doing is a bit broader. Uh, what we try to do is to connect with your data sources and to make all your data accessible to everyone in the company. And our best guess today is to do it through Slack. So you could access your Salesforce data, your Zendesk data, and all those kind of data right into Slack for everyone in the company. And I'm intrigued, having started out as an expense report app alone, standalone, and then moving on to a, a Slack uh, platform, uh, how did you uh, learn from that transition then? Uh, and what were your kind of key takeaways from the tilt or the pivot? Yes, uh, so we worked for a few months on the mobile app, and we didn't have the kind of traction we wanted to have. Um, so we really, really tried to think about what kind of competitive advantage or what something smart we could do uh, that all the competitors were not doing. And we thought about Slack. It was kind of, you know, it was Friday, uh, 5 p.m., uh, someone telling about this uh, silly idea, <laughs> like, hey, what if we could do our expense reports right into Slack. We didn't really react on the spot. All the weekend, we thought about it. And on Monday, we told ourselves that we need to do it. <laughs> so uh, the main takeaways of having a Slack bot instead of an app, uh, it that it's really, really easy to deploy a solution to uh, within the company. So it's about 30 seconds to, uh, to deploy and to install for 
uh, an admin, it could be a CFO, a sales manager, or someone else. There is no uh, mobile application to deploy. So uh, people are already using your uh, Slack. They don't need to remember a password. They don't need to create an account. They don't need to learn a new user interface. If they have questions, like they can directly ask the bot and the bot can answer really through a friendly way. Uh, kind of, you know, uh, we wrote a blog post about it, but our customer supports became our product and our product like uh, became our customer support. You know what I mean? Mm, but what were your personal learnings from it? Not, not the benefits of moving Slack, but your personal learnings like it's okay to pivot as long as you keep the same vision. So what, what were the personal learnings in terms of company building that you, that you took from pivoting? The first thing is you really need to, uh, to build something you feel really comfortable about using. That's the first thing. And we, we had a mobile application and we, we used our application, but we felt the pain of having another tool. We were using Slack since the beginning, since the beta. So when we pivoted to Slack, everyone in the company were using the tool right away without any complaint and without any extra effort. So the first takeaway is really to uh, build a tool that even in your company, you are using like right away. The second thing is to build something that you can uh, see as, you know, kind of have a unique insight. Our unique insight at the time was that Slack could be become the next platform to bet on. Uh, when we began our Slack bots, I think there were kind of two or three Slack bots in the world. So now there are many. But it was about, I think it was six or eight months ago. So when you have a strong belief, like we were using Slack a lot, we were, we were building a lot of bots ourselves for our personal use. So we had a strong belief and kind of unique insight that didn't have the competitors. And now we still are a lot of, uh, you know, leverage on this, meaning that we are trying to ask ourselves, okay, what do we believe that our competitors don't believe or competitors like just didn't see yet? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, one that I can't help but touch on, and I've spoken about it with quite a few kind of bot experts, and it's the business model for bots. And so how do you approach the business model for bots? Affiliate models are clearly uh, not incredibly profitable for the producers. So how do you approach the business model side of the bot economy? Yeah, um, so for bots and Slack in particular, there are many challenges and opportunities. The business model it's going to be kind of tricky, you know, because it's today, SaaS are mainly per user pricing. In Slack, it doesn't really make sense to do that because you could, like, let's say uh, you are using Birdly, you are accessing your Salesforce uh, reports or Salesforce da- data in a channel, like everyone can see it or you can share this data to someone else. Someone else can see it. And the whole thing in, is in the collaboration. The whole thing is in having the access to the team. So it doesn't really make sense to price it per user. Today, we are still uh, thinking about the best and experimenting some business models. There is one thing that my I personally believe 
is that the whole SaaS pricing model is going to change. Today, per user pricing is something ridiculous because we are saving some seats because we are a startup. We, are want, we want to save some seats. So we are using some SaaS services with only one account and we are sharing the password. So it's kind of real to have to pay per user because throughout the company, we have uh, only one account or something like that. And I think that with the Slack platform and Slack uh, new SaaS services, uh, things going to change. How do you expect them to change then? I'm intrigued. I, obviously, it's not a prediction, but w- how would you like them to change? It could be uh, more towards the service in itself. I really like, for example, some SaaS that changed their business models from a per-user basis to per-usage, for example. So that's that's one thing that could happen. You know, in Secom, for example, they change to the size of your database. That could be an option. A second option could be per usage. Let's say you have this number of queries per month for free. Then if you want to, to have more, then it could be paid. Those are all the kind of business model we are uh, experiment, uh, experimenting right now. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I'm, I'm really intrigued because Birdly really is the... Um is the poster child, I guess you could say, for the consumerization of SaaS. You know, Slack is the consumerized platform and yes. you are sitting on it. So where do you view the consumerization of SaaS today? How do you think we're going with it? You know, where are you excited for? There's one thing I'm really excited about uh, what we are building today is that really anyone can install the bots, like anyone in the company can install the bots, connect his data sources and use it right away. You don't need to have any permission about someone that's telling you you can install it. And that's the beauty of what could happen with uh, Slack apps is that you, you use your products and you like it with just a few seconds on one command line, you can share it to your friend within your company, that is really, really powerful because there is no friction to referral. There is no friction for the other person to use it. And when there is five person, 10 persons to use it, um, the whole company can use it in a few seconds. So you don't need to deploy an app and uh, to deploy something else. So uh, that's, I think, uh, what is really exciting about uh, Slack apps today. And I think all the bots in general. And I'm intrigued because we spoke about the business model for bots and, and for Slack platforms. And so I'm, in, I'm intrigued because often uh, VC funding needs some form of business model idea. Um, but you raised a large seed round out of YC uh, straight out. So, yes. so talk to me about how the fundraising went for you. And, and could you have done such a large seed round without YC, do you think? <laughs> Without YC, absolutely not. Two, three main great things about YC is that since the beginning of YC, they force you not to think about fundraising at all. So they force you to focus on the main, the most important things, which are talking to users, building your product and grow. About one week before demo day, I remember our partner, Michael Seibel, that told us that now I can give you some strategy about fundraising. I can tell you a bit about, we can talk about fundraising right now. 
and they were kind of a special fundraising office hour. And we know we didn't need and we couldn't like mention this before. And that's really helped us to focus on the good things. Absolutely not. Without YC, we wouldn't have raised such uh, such a round. Also, there's so the first thing is the focus on the most important things. And the second thing, the timing, the, you know, the demo day, which is a big, big advantage for us founders. And what you can leverage on this, telling investors that at this date, there are going to be a few hundred investors that might invest. You could have bonus on valuation uh, if you want to invest now, a week before demo day. And that's exactly what happened. We could raise about half of a round before the demo day and about half after. So, so, so were VCs allowed to come in and see you beforehand? So, uh, yes. So YC made us some introduction uh, about a week before the demo day. All the investors that expressed their interest, we postponed them until this date. So we met all of them uh, about a week before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, did you find it tricky when I've been with the VC community a week before YC Demo Day and all of them are frantically emailing founders of YC companies? Is it tricky when you're trying to maintain that focus and you've got such inbound from the VC community? <laughs> yes, that was exactly the question I was asking to Michael and to some of our partners. And they have almost kind of, a, you know, at some plates where they told us, just write them. We are really focused on our startup and our product, our users right now. So please come back and let's schedule something uh, later at this date. And that's exactly what we did. It was not tricky, like they completely understood. And it was even, I think, something positive. Maybe they were telling themselves they are focused on uh, the most important things. So that's the thing. And one of your investors was Slack Fund. Yes. Um, So what did you learn and what are the benefits from partnering for you then with Slack as a fund? We had really early discussion with Slack, even before YC, because we were among the first Slack bots in the the world. They expressed their interest very early and they they, they mentioned the fund really early to us. and, And that's exactly what we told them is, uh, let's postpone until the end of YC. <laughs> so that's what they did. And about a week before YC, we, uh, they invested and they were among the investors that invested before the demo day. They were very supportive and very helpful, uh, especially in the beginning when there were fewer Slack bots. But even now, uh, we had a dinner with uh, some other portfolio companies and we had a dinner with some Slack executives, including Stuart Butterfield, the CEO, mm-hmm. and April Underwood, the VP product. And it was really interesting, really a great way to build connection and for them to gather feedbacks about the platform, about uh, what, are, uh, what we are building and what difficulties we are facing to build on top of their platform. And... Um, they, uh, it's a good way for us also to ask any question about the roadmap and about what we can expect in the future. There's one last thing is that they, they have kind of a beta program. You know, they have features that they are realizing in advance 
uh, to us. You know, they released about one or two weeks ago the, the Slack buttons. They mentioned it and they opened it to us about two months ago. So we could like uh, build things in advance. So that's also a really interesting thing. That's a, that's a big bonus, though. Uh, <laughs> yes. And then I want to move into a quick fire round called the 60-second Sasta. So I say a statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? Yeah. That's so good. what's your favorite SAS reading material? Uh, Saster, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, are there any other newsletters or blogs that are must-reads for you? Yeah, I'm reading a lot about product management, about product design. Uh, I've just finished the product uh, Google Sprint design book. It's amazing. And then what's been the highlight of the journey for you? Just like build something that is really similar to what you are. Okay, absolutely. And then hiring marketing and sales in Europe, is it as tough as everyone says? Hiring in Europe, uh, especially for technical people, especially for engineers, is far easier than in the Silicon Valley. Because of expense? I think because of expenses and because expense and also because of there are two French companies going to YC every every year, so it's a real competitive advantage to uh, to be among them and to so for recruitment. And then, what's your biggest challenge then today? What what kind of do you struggle with on a daily basis? Um, the biggest challenge today is that the bot ecosystem is really new, and there is no uh, tool that help you to uh, grow your business. So we need to build a lot of internal tools for analytics, for customer support, for customer uh, relationship, for surveys, and all of this. All of this also a big opportunity because you have to reinvent everything. And then moving out of the quick fire round, so not such short quick answers. Don't worry. Uh, I want to ask you about the Paris uh, mafia, as Jason has put it here, uh, <laughs> with Checker, with Algolia, Front, uh, and others. So, so talk to me about kind of the the collection of powerhouse Paris SaaS startups now, and whether you will help each other. <laughs> it's really funny you mentioned that because, you know, you're going to your holidays and you see, you go in the foreign countries and you see other French people. You can have, you can have a natural uh, solidarity and a natural like uh, friendship with them. <laughs> so uh, it was exactly the same when we were applying to YC, for example. So Nicolas, the same the CEO of Algolia is now a good friend, but he helped us a lot to apply to YC and to prepare for the interview. Uh, you know, Mathilde, the CEO of Front. Absolutely. Uh, she is also a good friend and she reviewed the application, the written application. And she also spent a lot of time with us to prepare the interview. So that was really really helpful and you know in general french people and it could be the same for other nationalities but i know french people in silicon valley in san francisco in the bay area you kind of know them uh, you know who they are about a week before the interview of yc uh, we contacted a lot of them and like i think like 80 or 90 percent of them uh, agreed to uh, to talk with us and to challenge us for the interview. So there is a really great solidarity among the what you call the French mafia. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, about uh, among our investors, we have 
a three YC French French YC alumni. Uh, and then I want to finish today by talking about coming to America and, and, and where you're at now in your geography and when you think startups should make the move to America. For now, we are in Paris, but we'll come very, very soon enough. We want to come to America. We really ask ourselves, uh, why did we want to go to, uh, to the Bay Area? There are two main things. The first thing is we have... Three main things, sorry. The, th- the first thing is that we have many of our investors there. The second thing is that we have our partners there, Slack, Salesforce, and all of the ecosystem, including Zendesk, Intercom, Stripe, and all of the data source we are connecting. And the, and the third thing is that we have more than 60% of our clients from the Bay Area, so it's really great to be uh, to be close to them. So my general advice is that go there if you have really great reason to go. And for us, it was the three reasons I've just mentioned. So for now, we're in Paris, but we'll come very soon enough. The Kwang, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me and telling me all about the Birdly journey. Yeah, thank you so much. Again, a huge hand to Quang for giving up his time today to come on the show, and absolutely fascinating to hear how he thinks we're going to see a revolution in the SaaS pricing model. And if you're loving all things SASTA, then you can head over to SASTA.com, where you can find a whole host of articles, podcasts, core answers from Jason. It really is a must, and that's at S-A-A-S-T-R.com. Or you can follow me on Snapchat at Stebbings with two Bs, or you can follow Jason Lemkin on Twitter at JasonLK. As always, we're so very grateful to all your support and we look very forward to bringing you Monday's episode with Cindy Padnos, Investor at Illuminate.